Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything that happens in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal stuff. Every week we uh, sit and we look at what's going on and uh, do it like a little newscast here, and it's a lot of fun. Um, but today is not going to start off as fun as, as a lot of these do. Uh, I do like to update everyone on my life when I, when I have an update, and unfortunately... Uh, this week I have a sad one. Um, I'm sure many of you saw this on Instagram or Facebook, but uh, earlier this week, my grandfather, Edward Mira, I called him Poppy, uh, passed away. And uh, it's it's been a tough one, y'all. Um, I was very close to Poppy and also back when she was still around to his wife, Nanny. As a matter of fact, um growing up nanny and poppy was a more iconic duo to me than uh you know lennon mccartney or uh jobs and was or kobe and Shaq. um they were these two amazing older people who just showered me with love and affection and uh i'm very fortunate that my grandparents and and especially poppy um served more of a secondary parental role in my life than a lot of people get to experience with their grandparents. Uh, up until I started high school and started band camp, I would spend two weeks every summer with my grandparents, um, and they would come down all the time. We used to probably see them at least once a month, if not more, talk regularly on the phone, all that stuff. Uh, when I when I started touring, it was really funny because they definitely did not really understand my lifestyle, but you know, they grew to be proud of me and, and knew that I was successful in, in doing what I loved. And, um, I remember, uh, when I would talk to them on the phone, Nanny in particular would end every conversation with, uh, are you happy? And I'd say, yes, yes, I'm happy. And you go, good, you're doing what you love and that's what matters. And I, I have held that very near and dare, uh, dear, the word is dear, um, <laughs> ever since. Uh, and, and Poppy held on to that too. And, and, you know, he was always very proud of me and he always hoped that he would get to see me find balance in my life. And, uh, before he left, I think I, I managed to accomplish that. He was very proud of the man that I've become, the father that I've become, the, uh, fiance that I've become. Uh, he, he was proud of my work. He was proud of my intellect. Um, he actually really loved the idea of raw safari. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny huh? <laughs> when I explained to him, Hey, I've started this podcast. Uh, he didn't know what a podcast was. 
And uh, I thought briefly and I was like, you know, um, you know, those old timey radio shows you used to listen to when you were growing up? Well, those have come back in fashion again, only now they're done so that you download them on your phone or on a computer and you can listen to them whenever. And uh, that really clicked. And he really understood what the podcast was, even though he would frequently ask me how my old time radio show was going when he couldn't remember the word. Um, But you know, Poppy always believed that I should use my voice for good things and that I should uh, speak to people because I speak well and um, and that I, I should educate people. He thought that I would make a great teacher, um, you know, or lawyer or president of the United States because um, he's my grandfather and he loved me unconditionally and thought way too highly of me. But um, he really always thought that I would make a great teacher. And uh, I think he was really proud of the fact that I found a way to reach people uh, and educate people about something that I'm passionate about uh, with this podcast. So um, that was really nice. It was cool that he he really got it without ever really, you know, getting it. It's uh, it's very weird for me to think that the era of Nanny and Poppy is over and that really uh, they were in the Wilkes-Barre area and um, that's where they lived their whole lives and where I was born and that I really won't have much, if any, reason to go back there again. That whole era of my life is just over now and that's really weird to think about. Um, but fortunately, I have a loving audience who's willing to listen to me blather for five minutes about my grandfather, and I appreciate y'all for listening or not telling me that you fast-forwarded, because, you know, that's fine too. But anyway, enough of me blathering. I have so much zoo news and conservation news to tell you about this week, and I already know I'm not going to get to it all. Um, I'm still... If I'm being honest, I'm amazed that I'm even putting an episode out other than just a quick thing to tell you that my grandfather died and I'm not doing one this week. But I'm going to do some stuff because there's a lot of news that happened this week. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to shut up and we're going to get to it. Just like this. All right. So I like to think of myself as a professional here. I am taking this journalism very seriously, and I would certainly, certainly never use uh, Zoo News to try to make myself feel bad about anything that was happening in my personal life. So, uh, yeah, let's get to some serious Zoo News stories. And we're going to start with um, five stories about red pandas. Okay, I'm totally totally using this. But actually, these all really happened this week, and uh, I didn't know that was coming. So maybe the pandas were just being nice to me. First of all, Lincoln Children's Zoo in Lincoln, Nebraska, has announced the birth of Betty, a new red panda cub. She was born back on June 4th, but they didn't announce it. Uh, And it was to first-time mom, Tian, and uh, father, Liu. Now, I have seen both of these pandas, and they are wonderful. Uh, Tian is actually um, from the Hazel Yukiko line out at Woodland Park Zoo, and so I I know her parents really well and, and got to spend some time with them. And um, it's just really cool to see this. Uh, I I know one of the keepers at Lincoln Children's Zoo, and uh, my goodness, she is excited about this situation. So congratulations to everyone at Lincoln Children's Zoo, a really amazing zoo. Um, I I think people sometimes avoid the ones that say Children's Zoo, but uh, trust me, it's it's for all ages. It's, It's an awesome zoo. 
All right. So moving on in our pandemonium section, uh, we have another birth to announce, and this one is being called a miracle panda birth. Tilly, a much-beloved red panda that lives at Paradise Wildlife Park in the UK, gave birth to a healthy baby red panda, also known as a pandlet, right? We're sticking with that theme, uh, earlier in July. And this was really, really special because the father, Nampang, passed away a few months ago, and they didn't know if Tilly was pregnant or not with his offspring. And what makes it even more special is that Tilly has bred each year for the last eight years, but it has never been successful until now, which is a really fitting memory for Nampang. So congrats to everyone at Paradise Wildlife Park. Or, as they say in the UK, uh, c congrats to everyone. In, that's right. They speak English over there. But yeah, yay. And let's just keep going with this lovely, lovely topic. The Greater Vancouver Zoo has recently announced the birth of two red panda cubs to Mother Sakura and her partner Arun. Um, this is, yet again, just a wonderful, uh, exciting story, especially because this is believed to be the first time that red pandalets have been born in British Columbia in history. So that's just, you know, Super exciting. So, uh, yeah, seems like the uh, Red Panda SSP is doing pretty well. So congrats to not only everyone at the Greater Vancouver Zoo, but also to Sarah Glass and everyone on the team uh, at the SSP. Yay! And that brings us to another Red Panda story, though admittedly one with a different flavor. Uh, the Tulsa Zoo recently announced the acquisition of a new Red Panda named Maymay. Uh, she joined the zoo from Zoo Montana as a companion for Addison, the female that already lives at the Tulsa Zoo. Uh, it's a really cute announcement, and uh, Maymay is super cute, and everyone at the zoo is really excited about it. However, there's a bit of a catch here. Um, on both Zoo Montana's announcement that Maymay had left and the Tulsa Zoo's announcement that Maymay had arrived, there were a surprising number of complaints. That's because that Maymay was a wildly popular animal at Zoo Montana, and because Addison needed a companion because her mate, Bo, was a wildly popular animal at the Tulsa Zoo. Now, Bo left for a breeding recommendation, um, but people were shocked to see that Bo is gone. People were shocked to see that Maymay is gone. And look, I love the Tulsa Zoo. They are a wonderful organization. I don't know Zoo Montana, but everything I've seen about them, they seem fantastic. They're obviously AZA and everything. So this is not a dig on either of those facilities. I promise you that. But I do think that this illustrates the importance of explaining regularly and to the general public, to the social media following public, on signs, whatever, exactly what the SSP is and why it is a good, beautiful thing. I mean, we all know that I'm devastated that some animals have left zoos where I would see them regularly to go off and breed, most notably Bandit, the red panda, leaving the Columbus Zoo to go off to Henry Villas Zoo um, for, a, you know, just not even a breeding rack at the time. He's just a companion, but it, it all makes sense. It's all part of the master plan. 
And I get that and I respect it. It's still hard, but by understanding how the SSP works and by understanding that this is so important for the survival of the captive population, I'm able to deal with it better. And uh, I just think this is a great illustration that if you're listening to this and you're a part of a zoo community in any way, make sure that you're pushing an understanding of the SSP. There will always be people who don't care and are sad and miss Bo or miss Maymay or miss Bandit. But if there's an understanding of it, it'll be less of a shock and and less painful. And I, I do think it makes sense, especially with popular animals, to announce when they're leaving. Let people come and say their goodbyes. Um, I know I can speak from personal experience with many animals that I loved that were moving on that, uh, you know, the chance to get to do that has meant a lot to me. So uh, just just something to keep in mind for everyone. And last but not least, at least for our red panda stories uh, this week, um, a red panda escaped from its enclosure at the Adelaide Zoo, but was found and returned home safely. Uh, this is, you know, a good reminder that red pandas are actually some of the best escape artists in all zoos. You wouldn't think it from looking at them, but they, uh, they tend to get out more than most animals. The escape artist in this case is named Ravi, and he's a pretty popular red panda as he used to be friends with the Irwins. Uh, I guess he still is, but now he's at this zoo in Adelaide. And um, he's seven years old, and he arrived there, and two days later escaped, which is extra crazy because they had just redone the red panda habitat and thought they made it escape-proof. Apparently, they made it escape-proof-proof. Anyway, um, they they found him. He was in a tree near the exhibit, and uh, he was sleeping. And so they tried to entice him down, and he was like, nah, I'm asleep. So they darted him, but they had nets up and everything, and they caught him, and everything seems just fine. Ravi is healthy, and everything is okay. And they are going uh, to be reviewing the closed-circuit television camera footage to determine how Ravi escaped and make sure that he can't do it again. Probably. Unless he does. And if he does, you'll hear about it here on Zoo News. All right. Now we'll move on from pandas and talk about a world-famous baby hippo. That's right, y'all. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this beautiful little zoo. Its name starts with C. And there's a baby hippo there. Of course, I'm talking about the Copenhagen Zoo, where a baby hippo broke out of his enclosure and got into the giraffe enclosure, where he is seen roaming around, swimming in the giraffe's pool, chewing on wires, taking a nap, and just generally being a nuisance to the giraffes. Uh, he literally ran away from his mother and squeezed through the fence, went and visited zebras, had some of their hay to eat, and uh, then went back to the giraffe enclosure before eventually being taken back to his own mother and making sure that the uh, the exhibit was secure. Uh, the, there's video of this that has gone viral. So you could just Google uh, Copenhagen Zoo baby hippo if you want to see some adorability. That's a word I made up. Uh, because it is really adorable and, um, yeah, it turns out that that's probably not the hippo you thought I was talking about, but it is the one that I was talking about. Now, on top of that, of course, we all know 
that there is a new baby hippo at the Cincinnati Zoo. And uh, I mentioned last week that um, they were doing naming for the hippo and that you could vote on it, although they weren't necessarily going to go along with the vote winner. Well, good news. That baby hippo, sibling to Fiona, now has a name, and it is the name that people voted for. That name is Fritz. So Fritz the baby hippo is at the Cincinnati Zoo, and Fritz and Bibi, his mother, have started to go out on exhibit occasionally. You can occasionally see them at Hippo Cove now. In fact, uh, I heard through the grapevine that he even had a very, very brief protected encounter with his big little sister, Fiona. So uh looks like Fritz is settling in pretty darn well. And uh, I liked that one keeper mentioned that uh, they loved the name Fritz because clearly BB's birth control was on the Fritz, which is uh, why he is there. Okay, so this next story is some more really good news. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you know that uh, we've been following the story of the Johnson Park animals in New Jersey. These are animals that were living in horrible conditions in a so-called zoo that was run by a county in New Jersey that was in a floodplain, and it was just a disaster. And uh, there was a whole group that got started online, and we started talking about this a while ago. Um, and, you know, we were doing things. I think early on, I encouraged you to reach out to county commissioners and, and all that good stuff. And it looked like it worked, and the park was going to be closed, and the animals sent off to shelters and sanctuaries. But then the commissioners decided they needed to bring in an expert, and then they decided that some of them were just going to move to a different park, also poorly run and also in a floodplain, and things were looking really, really grim. However, the people who were fighting for the Johnson Park animals kept doing so, kept going to commissioners' meetings, kept writing, kept calling— and they have won. All of the animals at the park that had not already been sent to a sanctuary have now been sent to a sanctuary. The animals are free. People won. They did the dang thing. And I could not be prouder of everyone who is involved. This is awesome news. And before we get to some less happy news, a quick note of congratulations to our friends at the Akron Zoo, where for the first time in their history, two snowy owl chicks have hatched. They are both doing well and being taken care of by their parents, Frost and Cirrus, in the snowy owl habitat. That's really exciting news. And congrats to everyone at the always amazing Akron Zoo. Did y'all hear that? Even my dog Paradiddle wanted to uh, wish congrats to the people at the Akron Zoo. Good job, Perry. But now for some sadder news. Uh, the San Diego Zoo Safari Park has announced that four-year-old African elephant Makaya has contracted the elephant endotheliotropic herpes virus, known as EEHV. If you listen to Zoo News regularly, we talk about this one a lot, y'all. This is really terrible news. As of now, 
There is no cure, although um, staff at the Safari Park are doing everything recommended by the North American EEHV Advisory Group to try to save this elephant's life. Uh, It doesn't look like it has spread to any of the other elephants at the park, but it's really impossible to say for sure. So, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of these cases lately. And um, if you're just hearing about this for the first time, uh, quick reminder, this is not a captive elephant issue. Uh, This does occur in the wild as well. Um, And it's just it's something that we keep getting closer and closer to having the answers for. But we don't have them all yet. And uh It occasionally costs the lives of some elephants. So sending all the love to the team at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and just uh, hoping for the best. Maybe maybe something will happen. Maybe there will be a breakthrough and maybe they won't lose this elephant. On a side note, the St. Louis Zoo uh, has recently opened a EEHV polymerase chain reaction laboratory. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. It said different things on YouTube and Google, and uh, I'm a drummer. But um, anyway, it is a lab that allows staff to test samples for viral loads within a few hours of collection because the sooner that it is detected, the more likely they will be able to treat the EEHV, uh, even though there isn't really a foolproof treatment plan yet. So it's cool that the St. Louis Zoo has opened this and we keep taking these steps and oh, I really hope that they pay off soon. I am sick of this disease. And last but not least for our zoo news portion this week, um, I'm going to get a little soapboxy, y'all. Uh, but first, I guess I, I need to, to tell you what happened. So a couple days ago, the Greater Vancouver Zoo suddenly announced in the early afternoon that they were shutting down immediately and they they booted everybody out of the zoo and and said hey we're closed and then the next day they announced that they were remaining closed why you ask well because uh their wolf pack escaped and before you say wait what how the heck did a wolf pack escape an exhibit at the zoo well the answer is it appears that there was foul play involved There is a lot of evidence that humans broke through one of the rear fences of the zoo, cut it open, and then cut a hole into the fencing into the wolf exhibit. And uh, given that this is an accredited zoo, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that there are at least two layers of barrier there. So that took some work. Uh, But yeah, they, they did that and set the wolves free. Except that's not really how that works and um it's it's just really sad the zoo has nine adult gray wolves and six cubs uh or i should say did because while most wolves were perfectly healthy and happy to go right back on exhibit two had not been found for a while when one was found dead by the side of the road probably having been hit by a car and another one is still missing Now, I said I'm going to get on my soapbox, and I am, but let me be clear. The Greater Vancouver Zoo is a well-respected zoo. It is a member of Siaza and Waza, and uh, it's never had a problem with its inspections. There have been multiple anti-captivity people that have tried to raise alarms and concerns about the zoo, though they have seemed to always be unfounded concerns. 
Now, listen, I am not saying that it was anti-captivity people who did this. I have no evidence of that fact, okay? Could have just been pranksters, although this is Canada and everyone's supposed to be really nice up there. But whatever, there are a million things that could have made this happen. However, I will say this. The spread of misinformation is a major problem in the world right now. And anti-captivity people, when they are going after good accredited zoos, are spreading misinformation. There are constant lies and constant uh, creations on TikTok and stuff that are, are made to play on your heartstrings. And they're, they're well made, even if they're, you know, lying. Um, and I, I just think, from what I have seen, that this is going to be more and more of a problem. Because it seems like people are becoming more and more radicalized in all of their views and are willing to do more and more crazy things about them. And it could be a small percentage of people, but that's still enough. Um, I think zoos really need to up their security. But more importantly, I think that everyone in this community, whether you work at a zoo, whether you are a fan of a zoo, if you are listening to this podcast, unless it is a hate listen, um, then you love zoos and you need to start to evangelize and proselytize about the amazing work that they are doing. We actively need to fight the anti-captivity messaging um, because, you know, they've got uh, anthropomorphic psychology on their side. They can say, oh, you wouldn't want to be behind bars. Why should an animal? And we know that's not really how that works. But, um, you know, it's, it's a compelling message if you don't study or understand what's going on. So I think that this, whether it turns out that this was an anti-captivity group or whether it turns out that this was some punk kids and whatever, I think we need to use it as motivation to remember that we have the ability to stand up for zoos and to at least help to derail people who are against them, who are misinformed, and who might lead to these kinds of activities in the future. Again, regardless of whether or not this is an example of that. Just my two cents. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. All right, so I've talked about this story on Zoo News before, but um, it's really taken off this week on social media, and uh, there are some updates, so I just am going to talk about it some more. A company known as Colossal Laboratories and Biosciences has recently announced their intention to return the extinct thylacine, also known as the Tasmanian tiger, back to the wild within the next 10 years. Now, before I say anything else about this, so many of the things that I've seen people posting are always like, oh, what could go wrong with pictures of Jurassic Park? Okay, yes, yes, we've all seen the movies and we all know that things can go terribly wrong, both, you know, at the parks and like that fifth movie should have just never been made. But this is slightly different. 
while dinosaurs are super ancient and from a different, um, you know, geologic period, the last known thylacine named Benjamin passed away in 1936. So like, yeah, we know these creatures. We knew Benjamin. We named Benjamin. He didn't name himself that. And uh, they only went extinct because humans were total dorks and, and killed them off. So this is not some kind of thing where, you know, God creates dinosaurs, God destroys dinosaurs, God creates man, man destroys God, man creates dinosaurs, dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth, uh, as they said in Jurassic Park. Yes, I'm a nerd. Um, this is a very different situation than the dinosaur thing, okay? And and I'm not just saying that because I don't want any of you to steal my idea for the screenplay Thylacine Park coming in 2024 to Rasafari Media Networks. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, this this is something very different, but it is a weird thing. But because we have a knowledge of these animals, and because there were thylacines in captivity, we also have uh, young specimens and many embryos that have been preserved in alcohol and other stabilizing fluids, meaning we also have access to the DNA, the complete DNA of multiple thylacines. We don't need to add in anything like frogs. Again, I'm really hitting the Jurassic Park thing hard, but, you know, how can you not? We're talking about bringing something back from extinction. So, yeah, uh, Colossal Laboratories and Biosciences is claiming that they are going to rewild Tasmania with wild thylacines. And yes, if you've listened to the previous episode where I talked about a company that is talking about uh, de-extincting the woolly mammoth... Same company, which admittedly makes me a little more scared of the whole mad scientist thing, but like, probably cool, right? Oh, and just as a fun side note to this story, you might be wondering who the heck would invest in a company that is doing this kind of speculative biology? Well, investors include the Winklevoss twins, uh, you know, pretty well known from the whole Facebook fiasco, uh, motivational speaker Tony Robbins... Chris and Liam Hemsworth of, of Marvel fame and Hunger Games fame, respectively, and uh, Paris Hilton. <laughs> yep, Paris Hilton made Ratsafari Zoo News because she uh, invests in a company that's trying to bring back an extinct animal. Am I high right now? What is going on? Is, is there literally going to be a moment where if this is successful, the first thylacine is re-released into the wild, no longer extinct? And Paris Hilton goes, that's hot. What is happening? On a note that is almost as weird, I had mentioned that um, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the bill that is Touching on a variety of things in the country right now, in the U.S., that is, for my international listeners, um, but that uh, has a lot of really cool ecological stuff in it. 
has now officially been signed into law by President Joe Biden. So the House, the Senate, and the executive branch all actually got this stuff done, and the law is a law, and um, until the Supreme Court probably guts it, uh, things are things are looking good. We're in, we're in better shape than we have been for a while with uh, carbon emission and other things. I won't go into all the details because I've already talked about it, but uh, yeah, it's signed into law. That is really good news. A killer whale known as Lolita and also known as Tokite may be released from captivity back into the wild soon. Uh, this is an interesting thing. We've tried this before with Tilikum, and uh, it did not go well, and the whale ended up dying. But, um, so let's see here. Lolita is the last surviving killer whale out of 45 that were originally captured and delivered for display in aquariums in the U.S. back in the 60s and 70s. Now, these were some of the first orcas that were ever kept in captivity. Um, and Lolita lives at Miami's Seaquarium, where there have been uh, multiple problems with uh, animal neglect and other things, although there is new management and they are supposedly doing a much better job with all of that. Um, but there has been a push for a long time for Lolita to be released back into the wild. Uh, part of this push is the fact that um, her mother is still believed to be out in the wild. Uh, they believe that it is a 93-year-old whale known as L25, or also known as Ocean Sun. But there is, and this part's important, literally no evidence to corroborate this story. It is a story, it is a myth, and uh, nobody claims that it's anything else, but people truly do believe that that is Lolita's mother, and that Lolita should be returned to the wild to be with her 93-year-old mother. Now look, I'm not saying that Sequarium is doing everything right, or that they're doing anything wrong. I do not have an opinion on that, other than... Um, that I know that I have heard from multiple people that I trust that things have gotten much better there with new management. I also can understand the argument about not keeping orcas in captivity. I do. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I do see where that is coming from. Uh, I also know that most people who think it's a problem think it is a problem because of the movie Blackfish, which has been wildly discredited. I have personally heard people who were interviewed for that film speak about how their interviews were edited and cut up out of context and made to sound bad when they were not bad in the original presentation. So this is a complex topic. However, what I do know is that releasing animals that have lived in captivity for decades into the wild rarely, if ever, goes well. We talk on this podcast all the time about how animals like hares and rattlesnakes that are getting raised for release into the wild have to be treated a special way and not able to imprint on humans. 
Meanwhile, Lolita has trainers and has been in shows for decades. So yeah, not great. Animals that are raised in captivity like this are also more likely to go want to hang out with humans. They have learned that humans are where they get their food and and humans are, are their friends and their, you know, their source of enrichment. And large animals that try to hang out with humans uh, in the ocean, well, it doesn't always go well. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, yeah, but so I don't know. I can't really get behind this idea. Even if you think that Lolita has had a horrible life, and even if you think that Miami Seaquarium is evil and the tank is too small and whatever else you might think, I don't know that releasing her back out into the wild is going to do anything more than lead to a premature death. And uh, there are some who would say that that's preferable to captivity, but I can't get behind that idea. Hopefully, people who don't play the drums for a living uh, know what they're doing and make the right choice in regards to Lolita. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. So. Remember how I said that it's not always good to be a large ocean-dwelling animal that wants to be friends with humans? Well, uh, it's not just orcas. You may remember that we reported recently on Freya, a walrus who was climbing onto boats to sunbathe in uh, Norway. Well, Freya has been put to sleep. People refused warnings not to get too close to the 1,300-pound animal, putting both Freya and themselves at risk. Um, and uh, yeah, it just became a real big problem to the point where photos were released by the government showing large groups of people standing within touching distance of Freya, which is really not okay. And uh became very clear that the public was stressing Freya out and was making it really hard for her to have a good quality of life. And uh, ships were being sunk by her and people were making bad choices and all kinds of things were happening. And uh, they decided that moving her would be too hard. And so they humanely euthanized her. <sighs> I just cannot wrap my head around this. I cannot accept this. It makes me sad. Death is clearly a thing that I'm not super happy about right now. I mean, who the hell ever is? But uh, yeah, this one really bums me out, y'all. Freya, uh, that just sucks. They could have done something, anything better than just get rid of her. Um, yeah. And I wish people wouldn't suck so much. I wish they would have just left her alone. But on a wildly happier note, and also maybe uh, this, this animal was doing this to the people uh, who led to Freya's death, um, did you know that there is a comedy wildlife photo award given out every year? And uh, that the current reigning champion is Terry the Turtle, because Terry the Turtle was photographed, and it looks like Terry is flipping the bird at the photographer. It's an amazing photo. Google Terry the Turtle uh, or, you know, sea turtle flick off photo and you will get to see exactly what I'm talking about. It's adorable. It's amazing. And it makes me really, really happy. Um, turtles 
to have such great personalities. And speaking of turtles, there's also a photograph going around right now of a super rare leucistic green sea turtle. It is basically like a light blue turtle is what it looks like. And it is, it's one of the most like blue and white. And it is one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen. Uh, If you go to at turtle underscore dot lovers underscore on Instagram, you'll be able to see it there. And it's, it's really worth seeing. And then last, but certainly not least in other news, a newly discovered dinosaur was armor plated and the size of a dog. It also had a distinctive jaw, and I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm taking it to mean that it was like when a puppy sitting there with its mouth hanging open, and it was a dinosaur, and it was basically like a little puppy-sized ankylosaurus, and this makes me almost as happy as a sea turtle flicking off the people who led to the death of Freya. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, so it's still August, which is National Parks Month, National Catfish Month, August is for Antelope Month, and Asian Elephant Awareness Month. And if you're listening the day this came out, well, that's the 19th, and that's World Orangutan Day. Make sure you say it right, and don't add that G, folks. Then on the 20th, it's National Honeybee Day and World Mosquito Day. Why did they put those two on the same day? That's crazy. Even though I love and respect honeybees, like, all the stingy kind of things that people are afraid of in one day, that's weird. The 21st is World Goat Day, and that's it. That's all you get this week. Those are your animal holidays for the week. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Zoo News for the week is done. And uh, I want to thank you all for being here. I want to thank you all for being a part of this community. It has helped me so much this week going through my personal loss, knowing that y'all are out there. A lot of you reached out to me and um, even those that didn't. I know many were thinking of me and such, and it's just really cool to have this community and to know that y'all are there and that I can even just share who my grandfather was with my podcast audience and and that that you'll appreciate it. Or again, just fast forward, but don't tell me if you did that. Um, I want to especially say thanks to Larshank, my Red Panda level patron. And also, and this is so cool, y'all. So every week I, I thank everybody who contributed to the episode. And I have to tell you, on a week when I was having a really rough one, I think this is the most people that have ever contributed to one episode of Rossafari Zoo News. So I'd like to say thanks to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kristen Khalil, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Crystal Chapman, Ren Howell, Bill Morey, Laura Shank, Marianne Rossi, Emily Rockbuck, Michael Sebastian, Becca Fewer, and Andrew King. Thank you all so much. And holy crap, was it hard to say? Kim Cooley, Kristen Khalil, Carrie Kirkpatrick, and Crystal Chapman in a row. All right, y'all. We'll see you on Tuesday for the next interview episode. And remember, until then, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. 
interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.